Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. We are starting a new series on state-owned enterprises in extractives. And I'm glad to say that my first guest is Julius Katune. Julius is a policy analyst and describes himself as a futurist and innovation evangelist. He's currently a partner at Visa Advisors and a senior project consultant with the Maastricht School of Management. Julius and I worked for Assets in Ghana about a decade ago. Julius, it's a pleasure to speak with you today and welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you, Sheila, for having me. Happy to be here. So I, I thought we'd just uh, sort of start with the basics. It's not self-evident, at least to me, why governments should involve themselves in private sector activities and extractives. Uh, Should they? Yeah, I believe they should. Uh, And my reason is this. Uh, These are very, very expensive ventures. And uh, sometimes you need government to intervene where the risks are too high uh, so that uh, you can start developing local expertise and the only way to do that for some countries is really to government, because the government has a muscle, it can has it has the, the way to take that risk. So I think that is to me the primary reason. So you you see the investments made by government in state-owned entities as essentially a way of mitigating the risk that would otherwise be borne by private citizens. Is, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that uh, basically there's a market failure that happens when the risks are too high and people don't really know. So in countries, and if you look at the development of even extractive sectors uh, in most countries, it usually starts, uh, for many, it starts with state-owned uh, enterprises and because the risk and the investments are too high and therefore there's a market failure. Even if private sector would want the private sector is not very well developed to be able to take such risks. So that is, a, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, this uh, market uh, imperfection that you reference, mm. um, is it specific to extractives only or do you see it as uh, generic? It is generic because the state of other prices can intervene in any sector that requires a significant investment and there are significant risks involved. And if you don't have well-developed capital markets, that can be a challenge. Therefore, you would see several enterprises have been always there in a, if you talk of heavy industries, if you talk of uh, an extractive, by its nature, it's fairly, fairly capital intensive and expensive, uh, takes a long time to develop and uh, highly risky losses can be huge. So yes, it's extractive is a typical case where you may need to have state-owned enterprises, but there are also other industries. Uh, for example, if you, if you thought of uh, when you were putting infrastructure, maybe even telecoms and so on. That used to be, before it became privatized and so on, it used to be state-owned enterprises mostly that, that did that job uh, because of the significance. Hydro power uh, generation has been traditionally a state-owned enterprises, but now as countries have developed, markets have developed and so on, it has moved more and more into private. So yes, so it's not specific to extractive, it's, it's specific to industries that require very heavy investment and they have have to bear very high risks. So some of the uh, 
largest and most uh, significant state-owned enterprises, uh, nevertheless in the extractive uh, sector. Specifically, what is unique about extractives, apart from the risk factor that you have uh, referenced, that makes extractives such a logical area of investment by governments? Well, you'd say, first of all, it, it can be a very important sector in terms of uh, obviously providing significant resources that can be used for export and, and, and earning money and so on. But also there also can be a way of driving skills because uh, extractive requires uh, significant skills and, uh, and if done well, it can be a driver for, for economic development. So if you do well and you have state on enterprises, you can shape how it develops, how it develops other sectors. So there it can be a driver for economic development. If you look at Australia, if you look at even America, if you look at Sweden, all those countries became developed countries on the back of extractive sectors. For the US, I might not say, but I think for, 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 for Sweden, probably, I, I also don't have very good history, but I do know that state-owned enterprises, state involvement was much higher in, 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 in even in these countries. China obviously is, is a current example that we see. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, part of it is, if you can develop that expertise, yes, you can develop your country, but also because that expertise is so rare and, and, and once you have it, it can become also a source of geopolitical power because then you, you find that you can go to other countries, you can help extract and so on. So if you look at even Brazil, part of the, it's, a, it's a geopolitical projection of power and even China, is those mining companies. So it can not only help you develop internally through being a, a, a driver of transformation, but it can become a source of projecting your geopolitical power. That, that's why it is an important uh, sector. And that's why state would want to be made, yeah. So if we think then of uh, state-owned enterprises, uh, in their culture, in the way they, deliver value, how do they differ from other companies? State-owned enterprises, you know, they, their mandate is quite broad and their value, they are supposed to, they have political goals, they have economic goals, they have profit goals, they have all these kind of uh, many stakeholders because they are part of the political process. Yet, but the private sector obviously has very few goals. The, the idea is really, First and foremost is to deliver value to, to the shareholders. And obviously there's a secondary goal also, also uh, maybe thinking of the larger stakeholders uh, and, and the community, but that's secondary. Therefore, by that nature of being primarily about delivering value to its shareholder, uh, private sector can be very, very efficient in, in achieving that. And this also becomes quite important because if you're talking about very expensive uh, projects, uh, very risky projects, then being efficient really means uh, a lot because if you are not, the losses can be huge. So obviously for state of enterprises, much as this is an important enterprise, the very nature of the way it's constructed means that uh, much as you're trying to address certain risk, you actually even bring more risks, which can even mean even bigger monumental failures. It's like, yes, you, you can actually fail worse and even create more problems that you're trying to solve. Hmm. Uh, so let's talk about your reference to state-owned 
enterprises having different goals, uh, ranging from uh, political, economic, financial. So how can we ensure that these goals do not uh, conflict and that that conflict does not destroy the very value for which state-owned enterprises are established? That, that, that's a very difficult, good question, but not easy to answer because unless a state by itself is very strategic, unless a state wants to grow and wants to be big and wants, it has to have a, a bigger, grander goal. Uh, if it's about uh, dominating other countries, dominating the region and so on, then the objective of the state can easily help the company become more efficient because we are fighting for something bigger, uh, something to make this country bigger, to make this country stronger and so on and so on. But unfortunately, most of the time, uh, the politics are not about that. It's really about uh, people capturing whatever they can capture, factions, political factions. Most states tend to be internal and because they tend to be internal, then all these grander goals are not there. And once those grander goals are not there, then all these uh, other factors start dominating. Uh, we want development, we want this, we want employment, we want, and uh, the management gets torn into all kinds of directions from all kinds of forces. Because then if you are not strategic as a country, then the, the internal forces are quite, quite many and they are in all directions and you have to deal with them, all the political forces. So, Actually, it becomes very difficult. So for me, the key prerequisite, if you're going to be successful, it has to be a country that has bigger and grander goal that is trying to pursue, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's not no, a moral question, you at least have to be one to be great for you now to be able to, to make that sector be effective in helping you deliver those higher goals. So put another way, you think that uh, for state-owned enterprises to succeed and be focused and be able to, uh, if you wish, navigate these uh, often conflicting goals, the key is to have an overarching national goal. Uh, and, and that the purpose of state-owned entities should be really to drive and achieve that goal and that it is that goal and the consistency and the focus that enables the discipline to run state-owned entities? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yes. Hmm. Uh, so why state-owned entities? It, you know, why, what is it about state-owned entities that is able to uh, support countries pursue these uh, goals geopolitical and otherwise. What is unique about it? Is it just that it is a, an asset they have control of that they can use? Yeah, because it's, a, it's, it's like any other, because the, 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 the word is state-owned enterprise, it's part of the state. So the same way as military is part of the state and so on, then it becomes part of the state. And if the state has grand goals the same way, if you really want to, to fight wars and maybe capture other countries, then you have to have a strong military, isn't it? You cannot have a corrupt military and hope that you are going to be able to, to, to be able to, to do anything with it. And therefore you'll find that whether countries are good or so on, if they have those uh, goals of trying to, to go out and, and do something, inevitably they have to make sure that they have a, something that works. The same way, if you're if you going to have to achieve larger geopolitical goals and so on, 
then all your state elements start being focused in that direction. So that has to be, so, so the, the only thing is that it's part of the state, it becomes part of the state. Therefore, its mission becomes part of achieving the, the state mission. Hmm. So, you know, the, the, the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, when they conjured up these notions of state uh, and other institutions, assume that the state ex ex uh, exists for certain purposes. Uh, sometimes it exists really to foster the interest of the elites. Sometimes uh, it, it exists to look after the interests of the citizens. So if we think uh, about state-owned enterprises as in some way or other looking after citizen interests, you know, in the context of what you said about the role of the state and, and, and a national vision, what is the value proposition of these state enterprises then to citizens like you and I? As, I, as before I said, the, the value would be, first of all, they can help build expertise, isn't it? Uh, because they can, uh, they can bring, uh, help us, to, and by that, uh, with spillovers, uh, those skills and expertise can also go into other sectors. Uh, if you're producing important uh, extractive resources, then you can get a great value that you can use to, to leverage to other sectors. So it's because you are exporting. So as a citizen, they are like any other thing that as a state you'd want. It provides you resources that you can build other, other, other areas of the economy, other skills and so on, educate people from taxes and so on. So I think that's the, the value proposition for, for me, it is that. Hmm. Some people argue that uh, the state has no business involving itself in uh, private sector activities and that that ought to be left to uh, others. Yes. Do you agree or, with this uh, argument with respect specifically to investments in extractives? I don't, I don't agree actually. Uh, okay, but maybe, maybe uh, it's more nuanced than that. Thing, I don't agree, because as I said, there are some, some, some states can play a role if you're talking of developmental states, especially in countries where, as I said, where things are not very well developed and you want to develop certain sectors. It's only the, the state that might, might have the, the, the appetite or, and resources to do that. But at the same time, and if you look at it, actually, I think there's, there's a famous lady called Mariana Mascuto. She's done quite well because uh, uh, there's a resurgence now because what you're talking really is about industrial policy and where, where the, the state plays a role. And actually she, uh, and also the other person is Pooja Chum, uh, he's at Cambridge University. And I had a talk, we had a talk last, last, last December, had a meeting with him uh, as part of a conference. And he actually made a very interesting thing. He said, the biggest state owned enterprise in the US is the US Army, the US military, because it is where all the technologies come. And this is also, if you look at Maria Mazzucuto, it's what she has said. If you can, you can trace quite a bit of technologies, how they have come from that. Because it's kind of a state presence like R&D and so on, and even ask you, develop this, develop this, brings people together. So it can. But the question we always have to ask, if you have a risk that the state is, as you said, a lot of states pretend to be for the citizen, but we know in reality, uh, many times the states are 
captured, been captured by elites uh, and other interests. So the question becomes, uh, given the, the reality of the ground, then what should we do if, if, if really getting that uh, uh, state that is cares about the interests and citizens and so on is it, it's, it's not easy. What happens then? Do we, do we still talk of state-owned enterprises or do we start looking at private sector? To me, I think obviously private sector makes sense to do that, but still for countries, developing countries, especially countries like uh, here in Africa and other places, then that now means uh, dealing with uh, foreign direct investment because really internally that becomes uh, very hard to, to have a, a private sector, especially that can go into, into extractives. But obviously the other way is even if you bring uh, FBI, you can still uh, using state uh, instruments, you can still be able to find a way to transfer skills, find a way to stimulate other sectors, find a way to, for people to be part of that, that value chain. So, so I'm a bit ambivalent in saying, I, I, I do want uh, to have state-owned enterprises, but for me, the prerequisite has to be like, uh, there has to be something, at least a state that is trying, is trying, it's not, uh, if it's not trying and you know it's purely um, opportunistic uh, elites, uh, then you're actually creating another opportunity for elites to just extract public uh, and resources and, uh, and use them for their own purposes. Mm. So you've said a couple of things that I want to follow up on. Uh, first, you have made repeated reference to uh, the shortage of capital in some of the countries in which the state then, for all intents and purposes, uh, bridges that gap. Are you suggesting then that uh, in some cases, at least state-owned enterprises are act as a, if you wish, a temporary measure until markets mature and there's enough uh, capital in the markets for citizens to participate? Do you see them therefore as something temporary? Yes, yes, and that's how it should be because you should, uh, the state should intervene, make the things work, move them a bit. But over time, uh, I think there was always a realization that uh, states, uh, because the way they are structured and people have power and so on, the, the potential for corruption is, is always huge. And the bigger the state enterprises, the bigger the potential, because then those state enterprises themselves, they become attractors for political opportunities. Because if you have a big pot of money, a big, big company that has a lot of resources, can do a lot of things, then political entrepreneurs want now to capture, they would want to be part of that state. So, so at one time, as it grows, there's always the need for you to move it, to, to, to make it public. Because it's still public anyway, whether, whether it's state or not a price of a public, public company, which is a much different way of having a, a kind of publicly owned company that is more accountable and so on. That I think it should be the direction. So you should, the state should diverse as it, as things, as the markets, the solution is solved because the solution was lack of uh, capabilities. So if those capabilities are built, that makes sense for state to withdraw. Mm. So that, uh, that suggests we should be rethinking uh, investments in state-owned extractive enterprises and, 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 and giving us ourselves, if you wish, a target from day one uh, to say, we are bridging this gap but we, uh, this is the plan towards 
exiting uh, in terms of investment. Uh, so that to you would be something that is stated up front and a plan put in place for how this, when and how the state would exit uh, so that it's not seen as a temporary venture, right? Yes, yes, there has to be, that, that needs to be done from upfront. And even probably even if it's a state owned enterprise, you should almost immediately start uh, as, as you invest because you are investing taxpayers' money, you'd find a way to start almost distributing shares, even if it's small, so that people start, you can get that momentum going so that people are expecting something. I think that has to be done in a way because obviously you always know uh, the people, the political opportunists, whatever, they're they also very clever uh, because the problem is that you can put such a plan. The question is how do you ensure they don't scuttle it in the process? Unless you write it in the constitution and so on, they can always find a reason to delay or to do something. But yes, I agree, there has to be a plan to show how we'll diverse. But more importantly, there has to be a way to make sure that uh, it is uh, it is enforced. It, 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 the, the plan does not get derailed by clever people because there are always clever people out there. Hmm. So your uh, colleague from, I think you said Cambridge, said that, yes. for instance, the United States Army is the biggest uh, state-owned enterprise. Uh, and, and I can see how, but isn't it different uh, to have a state-owned enterprise for, say, security reasons, which the army presumably is, versus a state-owned enterprise for purposes of uh, essentially turning extracted resources into financial and other economic benefits. Isn't that different? The one speaks directly to economic and social welfare. The other speaks mm -hmm. primarily to military defense and geopolitical power. I, I see this as very different. You seem to think your colleague had a point. Yeah, he had a point because uh, much as it's about security, a lot of those technologies, there is a broader intention to develop them because uh, they were not developing microchip without understand the understanding of it they'll be used in defense and so on. But there was also a clear understanding that they'll be used in a, in, in a, in public sector, in, you know, in private sector, in other sectors. So there's always a dual purpose in their, their intention and in their investment and in their research. There's a military aspect, but there's also understanding that economically, because I think within the United States, they understand economics is also quite, quite an important thing. And actually, just now I was reading something from Danny Roderick, who actually emphasized the same thing that uh, South Korea, after they had a, they were, more, very military oriented after the war with the, obviously the, 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 the initial war with the North. But they decided to understand that their economic, their security will come from economic prosperity. So they started dividing resources more and more into uh, the economic sphere. So yes, the economic and security things actually tend to be a bit related. So I kind of agree with him, yes, they, they have a dual purpose and I think the US thinks of it that way. But the problem is that they're also very good in that because they don't want other people to think of it that way. So all these things are not uh, in plain sight. So you really have to dig to see the economic uh, angle that uh, that kind of uh, the, 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 the military enterprise plays in, in developing the, the private sector. It is not as, as apparent as somebody would think, but it is deliberate. 
Well, I don't agree that it is it is uh, not uh, plain to see the economics of the military. I mean, for one, they consume a lot of uh, technology that comes from the private sector. They consume a lot of equipment uh, through procurement, uh, and they they can be a very big uh, driver of uh, economic growth through demand. Uh, war isn't cheap. Uh, sustaining a military isn't cheap, whether it is uh, in the actual military equipment or other secondary supplies, including just uniform and housing. So, so that they are part of the bigger economic picture is not the question. Uh, my, if you wish, uh, view is that they are part of that big picture, but they are not in the business entrepreneurial sense. They benefit big business. They benefit small business, but in themselves, they don't operate as a business. But, but I, I, I defer to you and your academic colleague. Let me uh, go back to the notion that in extractives, state involvement is inevitable because there are no other alternative sources of capacity to invest. In that stage uh, then, Julius, do you perceive the potential for the state to have monopolies? Because presumably if uh, there is no one else to occupy that space and we are adverse towards uh, foreign investors, then for all intents and purposes, we create state monopolies, are we not? Yes. And that has been the trend uh, in all places where state felt they needed to invest to create to create markets. So if we talk of telecommunication industry, long ago, there were all state monopolies. As I said before, if you look at uh, electric power generation, there were always partly state monopolies. So that is part of the process. Uh, but I'm not sure whether you need to have a state monopoly in, uh, in, in mining, because uh, the other one, there is a, an element of if you look at power or, 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 or telecommunication, then the, the argument was that uh, you can neglect those people who are who can't pay. So you kind of gave you a monopoly so that then you subsidize the uh, reaching for people who are who are not capable. The same argument cannot be made uh, for state mining because mining you're not uh, really trying to provide a service and therefore there'll be nobody be neglected. So it's possible to, diff to create different companies for different uh, resources or create one big company. I don't think monopoly is inevitable. Monopoly in the sense that having one company doing everything, that is not necessary. Monopoly, if you say in terms of the government owning all the mining companies, fine, or, or, or extractive companies, because you can have a 10, whatever, however number of state-owned companies that are there all doing with different mandates or with different extractive sectors or minerals or, or whatever they want, however you want to structure it. So, so I'm not sure whether you mean monopoly in having one huge company or monopoly in terms of the state only being in the sector and, 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 and refusing other people to enter the sector. And I also don't think we can talk of monopoly because the state is not entering there because uh, it doesn't want other people to enter. It's going there because there's nobody, if you want to develop a local industry, nobody can do it, so we'll do it. So I guess if somebody says, I also want to do it, the state has no interest in saying, no, you can't do it. So it's not really a monopoly. Mm. So 
you made reference earlier of um, the problem of the political economy uh, as a major challenge in trying to uh, steer state-owned enterprises uh, in the right direction. So given that you argue for the central role and the desirable role and the inevitable role of governments in extractive investments where markets are not matured. How do we reconcile that with the challenges of the political economy and their potential to erode the very value that the state is supposed to uh, generate and uh, protect? Well, it's not easy to reconcile because uh... As I said, if, if, if the state that serves political, political elites, the state enterprise just becomes another, another avenue for extracting from the public uh, uh, to, to a few individuals. And therefore, to me, I would say I'm not averse to saying, let's, let's, let's go through the foreign direct investment and let's try to structure such that uh, in a way we can create uh, whatever is local content or whether whether linkages and so on, and also have subcontracting. Because for me, I think uh, the fact that uh, governments do not have a lot of resources, first of all, uh, so if you're going to start investing in this fairly complex industry, uh, very, very, very specific skills, and uh, you're actually more likely to fail than to succeed, even with good, people with good intentions. So if then intentions are bad in the first place, you're almost guaranteed to fail. So for me, I make the argument, yes, it is good to have state-owned enterprises, but I also have, have to be realistic that uh, it's a very, very risky route. The, mm. you're, you're more, in the current context of many countries, you're more likely to fail than succeed. So let's stay with that. What is it about state-owned enterprise in extractives that in, uh, increases the likelihood of failure? So it, first of all, uh, the, the like, first of all, it's, uh, it's, the skills are very specific. And they have high, high level of skills. It's not easy. From exploration, if you look at all stages, from, from, from exploration, to mine development, to actual processing, to actual even, even mine closure, everything there is very highly specific and you really need to have high skills. So first of all, from just even in, with, the, with the intention, just to develop those skills is hard. You may have even a, to, to rely a lot of, on foreign skills, which is not bad because you, you can always develop industries with, with foreign skills. So there's that element of the technical capabilities that is a, is a risk, eh? but even more, more danger is the fact that uh, those resources are point resources. So therefore, once, and that's where, where it comes, the resource comes in. Because uh, to steal from that is not, is much easier. Than for example, if, if you have farm-based economy where you have coffee plantation and so on, and you have so many farmers farming and so on and so on, uh, the, 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 the level of exploitation you can do, that one is, because sooner or later, some farmer will be hurt and there'll be Q and clay and so on and so on. But this one is a, is a very complicated operation. It is somewhere in one point uh, hidden from most, most of the public. 
uh, easy to, most people can't even understand, even even make it even harder to understand because you can confuse everything if you want, uh, obfuscate rather than explain. So therefore it becomes an easy resource to capture and still it's like, it's like going to rob a bank uh, than trying to, to do all kinds of complicated fraud. It, it just go and pick it and go. So, so the very nature is like a pot of gold. Once you have it, it's there, it's easy. So if you have bad political economy, it makes them even worse. So that is a, the, the challenge. Hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, so it's complex. It requires yes. a lot of skills. Mm -hmm. uh, the nature of it is that it's easier for corrupt politicians to um, rent sick, yes. to dip their hands in the national coffers because there's money flowing in. Uh, it can be made opaque. That sounds to me like all the arguments for why the state shouldn't get involved. So let me ask you again, um, why not just leave the business of uh, resource development to private sector entities, foreign or otherwise? Because then you would solve the problem of lack of skill, you would exclude, at least minimize the political economy and all the ills that you have stated. Why not just say, okay, Sure, we don't have citizens uh, for now who can uh, invest, there's no capital, but we, we'll let capital fly in from somewhere else and the skills come in. Why not just do that? Because if those people also know that neither are also interested. They're also very clever. Foreign investment can come. They can also be as opaque as you don't, as, uh, as we have seen with illicit financial flows. They can extract, you don't know what's happening. They can cook their books. They can refuse to develop skills. They can become an enclave themselves, and even them, they can even corrupt the same politician because uh, we are, and as we have seen, we have seen that happen. So it's not like uh, just because you'll have uh, foreign direct investors flowing in, and you have seen that still many many extractive rich countries. It's not done by state enterprises; it is done by by foreign capital and, and private sector, but they have not seen better outcomes. So. That is neither, we cannot escape. The, the, the only problem that we have, and if I say for Africa, which I'm more familiar with, is the idea that we can ignore the state. And that comes from the neoliberal uh, thing that came uh, around 1980s, where we started to say, with uh, Regal and such about uh, the state is a problem and we should try to deny it as much as possible. We have cannot escape the question of having a state that is working. Because if a state is not working, whether you have it state on enterprises, private sector, you can all still get messed up. So in a way, what I'm trying to say, we have the huge responsibility of making states that function. Once, but, but once we have states that function, then it is easier to have state, state on enterprises can give you more value. I think that is my point. That's interesting. Well, Julius, thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed uh, listening to you. Uh, my sense is that uh, state-owned enterprises are here to stay in some form or other. 
And so thank you very much for sharing your wisdom with the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you so much, Sheila. It has been, uh, I've enjoyed myself and I think it has also helped me to understand some things better. And I hopefully we can continue this conversation. I think as we agree, they'll be there and it's our job to make them work. <laughs>